This is Laura. I don't expect you to know Laura, but I'm going to tell a little bit about Laura's story today. Laura was having some struggles, so Laura went to see a counselor. And uh, during the course of therapy, Laura asked the counselor for uh, recommendations for churches, because that's something, Laura, that, that she really desired, uh, was to be connected to a church. And so the counselor gave Laura um, some recommendations for churches. Now, Laura went to check out these churches, and every single one of them rejected her. They said, thanks for coming, but uh, this is not the church for you. Um, you know, God bless in your search for a church, but this isn't, this isn't the one. And what was up? What was the issue? Well, Laura had a secret. And once she revealed this to other people, um, they had a hard time accepting her. The secret was that Laura was born Walter Heyer. Now, Walt uh, experienced some things in his childhood that should not happen to anyone. For example, uh, Walt would go to his grandma's house, and his grandma would dress him up like a girl, put dresses on him, and uh, pretend like he was a girl. And this played on his mind, on his psyche. It affected him, uh, his identity, and you know, who he was. He was also sexually abused by his uncle, this too. Uh, had a detrimental effects on his psyche and his well-being and his identity about who he was as a person, his worth. Walt eventually would become Laura, and Laura still wanted to find a church and, and believed in God and went to a minister for some confession and absolution with stuff that uh, Laura was wrestling with. And the minister, instead of absolving Laura's sins, propositioned her sexually. It's tragic. Laura eventually left the church and just, just said goodbye at that point in her life. No one will help me. Now, Walter, uh, growing up, um, he tried to suppress these feelings. He tried to ignore them. Um, he actually got married. He had two kids, a son and a daughter. And he was uh, very proficient in, in his work and actually helped with the Apollo project for NASA and uh, would uh, then go on to help create the company we know of today as Acura, uh, the car company. But no matter how hard he tried, he could not ignore these feelings that he felt inside. He tried to get rid of them, but he just couldn't do it. So Walt ended up going to see this guy, Dr. Paul Walker, a gender specialist at World Professional Association for Transgender Health. And after just a couple of counseling sessions, um, Dr. Walker told Walt, you know what your problem is, uh, well, you need a sex change. Um, that would alleviate your problems. So Dr. Walker referred uh, Walt to the gender uh, clinic in Trinidad, Colorado that specialized in this. Walt went to the clinic and uh, got cold feet. He just couldn't go through with it, and he went back home to his wife and kids. And at this point, his wife had had enough. She just couldn't take it anymore, divorced him. His daughter also um, abandoned him in this point in his life and said, I, I want nothing to do with you. And his son really, really struggled with this. And he said this, I wish you had cancer. Then I could at least tell people what is wrong with you. Just imagine your, your son telling you that. Imagine the pain that Walt was feeling, the struggle that he had. Walt uh, eventually went back to Trinidad, Colorado, and had uh, the surgery and transformed from Walt to Laura. 
Now, I know this is a really uncomfortable topic for a lot of us, and you probably hear enough about it in the media and in the news. you just like, can we please keep this out of church? Well, I've been feeling a burden on my heart to address this issue. Uh, God calls us, as we've been reading in the book of Jeremiah lately, uh, to be a prophetic voice both to the church and to the world uh, to speak uh, God's truth and to speak God's word. I've been feeling this burden so much that I made this topic uh, the topic of my research paper for my legal and ethical dilemmas class in my counseling program that I'm taking right now. And if you'd like a copy of that paper, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty easy read, only 10 pages. Um, uh, please email me and I'll, I'd be glad to send it to you. And also, if you or someone you know is struggling with this gender identity issues, please come talk to me. My door's open. Um, I would love to, to, to be a listening ear and to, to help people. And also, as a side note, my dad preached on this topic uh, back in 2017 at Grace Hill Lutheran Church in Omaha, and I'm borrowing uh, some of his uh, material for this sermon today. But where do we start when we talk about this issue in the, through the lens of, of the Bible and through our Christian faith? Well, we've got to start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the protagonist of the story of the Bible. He is the hero. He is the main subject. And I believe a lot of our society's ills stem from the fact that we have written God out of the public discourse, out of the public sphere, out of even casual conversation. Uh, God is not something we talk about. Uh, we've relegated to the private life, and that has a whole bunch of consequences. And I think uh, the issue that we're talking about today is one of them. On the sixth day... God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, him, male and female, he created them. So there on the sixth day, God uh, created his human creatures, and man and woman. And they were similar in many different ways, but also different in, in some very critical ways. God created into man and woman these distinctiveness of maleness and femaleness. And there was perfect harmony between man and woman. Uh, between them and God, between them and the rest of creation. It was, was ordered according to God's ways. It was uh, shalom, uh, order, peace amongst man and the rest of creation and God. And God said on that sixth day that it was very good. This was good. We fast forward to our gospel text for today. Um, some Pharisees come to Jesus with a question about divorce and marriage. Uh, they had some debates among themselves of uh, whether it is permitted or not by the law, and they wanted to pin Jesus on it. So they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus says this, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Then later what God has joined together, let man not separate. There is so much jam-packed in these few words from Jesus about Jesus' thoughts on marriage, man, woman, male, female, uh, sexuality. It's all like packed into these few words, and we could expound on, upon it for a long time. But essentially, when Jesus is asked about this, about gender and sexuality, he goes to Genesis and against God's original design and his prescription for mankind. Back in Genesis, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. This is a job for a man and a woman within the confines of marriage. 
Any expression of sexuality outside of that is against God's commands and his will for us, against his order. Of course, we know that uh, this perfect order um, didn't last very long, right? Adam and Eve, there in the garden, they were given one command. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of, no of the knowledge of good and evil. So both the commands, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, um, all these commands plus the negative one here, these were life-giving commands for humans. These were good for God's human creatures, for their flourishing. And yet Adam and Eve wanted more than that. They wanted more than being mere creatures. But like the serpent tempted them, they wanted to become like God. And so they ate the piece of fruit, and the world was plunged into chaos, sin, and disorder order. This is this what happens when humans try to go outside of the boundaries and the limits that God has placed for them. Chaos ensues when we try to make up our own boundaries and our own limits, our own laws and ordinances that are contrary to God's will. And I believe um, that this trans movement is, is very closely connected with the transhumanist movement. Has anybody heard of transhumanism? So it's a philosophy that's kind of picked up in the last couple centuries, um, very quietly, but now it's becoming more and more mainstream. Uh, but here's the essential idea of transhumanism. It is a class of philosophies of life that seek the continuation and acceleration of the evolution of intelligent life beyond its currently human form and human limitations by means of science and technology. Well, the whole idea is man is evolving. The next evolution of man involves science and technology beyond human limits and human forms. You might hear of this merging of, of technology and the human body even. Um, but this is all essentially trying to get more, transcending uh, God's limits for humanity. And we might call it new, but it really isn't new. This is the oldest one in the book. To become like God. Is the problem that the people of the Tower of Babel had to ascend to God, to be gods themselves. Well, the um, thing is, God has given us humans limits, limitations. And uh, like, for example, did, did anybody here fly to worship this morning? Anybody fly here on wings? No? Oh, yes? No? Did anybody eat grass for breakfast? Nothing for breakfast. Okay, you can do that. That's within your limits. Rocks. You know, no, we have these certain limitations for us. And sometimes we don't like our limits. And sometimes we really want to, like, rebel against our human limitations. They're frustrating sometimes. Uh, case in point, uh, parents know how this goes with uh, kids and boundaries and limits, right? All right, Junior, it's bedtime. No! No, I don't want to! Well, I think uh, what we are experiencing with gender and sexuality in our current world today has a lot to do with limits, um, not liking limits and boundaries. So in the Diagnostic Statistic and Statistical Manual um, for Mental Disorders, also known as the DSM, they used to call what we're talking about gender identity disorder. And inherent in that word disorder is, is there, there's an assumption that there is a prescribed order to existence. And where do we get this prescription? Well, we get it from God, 
and the laws that he made uh, to govern humanity and the universe. But the DSM-5, the latest uh, edition, now calls it gender dysphoria. And I gave you a definition here of dysphoria, a state of feeling very unhappy, uneasy, or dissatisfied. Have you ever felt unhappy, uneasy, or dissatisfied? Anybody in here? Yeah, I think, I mean, if you, if you say you haven't, you're lying. Because we all have experienced this before, being unhappy and dissatisfied and uncomfortable. It's a pretty common human experience. Well, gender dysphoria is a marked incongruence between one's experienced or expressed gender and assigned gender of at least six months' duration, as manifested by at least six of the following. And then the DSM gives about 12 different criteria um, to meet for this disorder. And the DSM gives these prevalence results in adults. Um, for men, it's between 0.005% and 0.14% of adult men and uh, between 0.002% and 0.003% for women. Now, if I were to ask you, uh, what would your guess be of the prevalence of this? Would it have been those numbers? Probably not, because you almost hear about it every day, right? And we also have, um, the DSM doesn't even have numbers for children and adolescents. Uh, because for the longest time it was so rare that it wasn't even noteworthy. Not even, there wasn't any research done on it. Uh, it was so rare. So what, what happened? What's going on? Some people argue that um, this has been normalized. Uh, transgenderism has been normalized by the likes of people like uh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, you know, who was formerly Bruce Jenner. And so more people who always were are coming out um, because they feel comfortable doing so right now. But we also have entire friend groups of teenage girls, for example, who are coming out at the same time. And some are like, well, how do you explain this? What's going on? Well, one person investigated this recently. Uh, Abigail Schreier wrote this book um, in 2020, I believe, Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And in it, uh, she talks about how some scholars are calling this rapid onset gender dysphoria. Uh, because one of the criteria for gender dysphoria is that you experience this throughout your childhood. Uh, but we're seeing people just suddenly uh, have it. Other people call it a social contagion. And uh, Schreier talks about how social media is a heavy influence on um, what's going on with our, our teenage girls especially. And every one of the cases that she studied and interviews that she did, almost every one of them, um, what preceded the issue was a heavy amount of time in social media and on the internet. And Schreier um, just outlines just the, how this happens. And there's, there's a lot of people who are trans activists on the internet and they find a young person who's you know, looking around and then they say, yes, no, your discomfort is because you were born in the wrong body and here's how to get what you need. And so they coach these young ladies into lying how to lie to your parents and to physicians to get the kind of treatment you need, which almost invariably is puberty blockers, hormone replacement, and finally, uh, sex change surgeries. And I don't know any other way to describe what's going on there than it's demonic. Like, this is evil, attacking, preying on young people who are vulnerable, who need love and acceptance and belonging. And they prey on us. 
the stories of detransitioners are just heart-wrenching in this book. Um, I read one just the other day of a 15-year-old girl in California who already went through the TOPS surgery and learned, you know, after she had thought she had the dysphoria, came out the other side and was like, I don't want this. And now she realizes she may never be able to breastfeed a child or even have a kid. A lot of the treatments are irreversible. Um, that's the irreversible damage. And it's, it's, it's sad because 70%, uh, between 70 and 90%, Abigail Schreier says, uh, outgrow their gender dysphoria. Between 70 and 90% of kids who struggle with it outgrow it later on in adulthood. One of the other things going on is gender-affirming care. The American Pediatric Association, the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, amongst a whole host of other uh, organizations in our country are promoting gender-affirmative care, which means, let's say you get a client who comes into your office and they say, I feel this way, I identify as the opposite gender, and the therapist or the doctor then says, okay, what are your pronouns, you know, how do you identify yourself, and let's get to the next steps, which are, I outlined earlier in, in changing to the other gender. One psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Paul McHugh says this about gender affirmative care. You're hurting these people. They need help, not affirmation. They need help, not affirmation. We don't do this with any other mental disorder. Imagine you have an emaciated young girl who comes to you as a doctor or a, or a clinician, a physician, or a therapist, and she says, I just know I'm fat. I'm just a fatty, so if you could call me fatty, that would make me feel better. No, we don't do that. We don't do that with any other disorder. So what should we do, church? How can we respond? How can we be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world for, for people who are struggling with this. Give them Jesus. They peop these people need Jesus. They need the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus. They need the truth that comes from God's word. They need to know that they're loved by God and they don't have to be defined by how they feel in the moment, but can be defined as a beloved, baptized child of God created in his image, a, a person for whom Christ died, to redeem them, to make them a new creation, to give them new life, to live in God's kingdom, his glorious kingdom of grace and mercy and peace and order. And so we can offer the good exchange, our brokenness for Christ's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And notice the passive tense there, be transformed. You can't do it on your own. You need God. You need the help of God. You need his church. You need prayer. This is a supernatural thing that needs to happen. God's help. And let's not opt for the bad exchange. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So what happened to Walt? 
Well, I don't have the slide up there. I'm going to have to fix that for the next service. But Walt found a church that would accept him. He enlisted the help of 30 prayer warriors who were interceding for him constantly, battling the spiritual battle that he was in. Walt um, had his expenses paid. The church offered to pay for all of his expenses for therapy and whatever else he needed. And finally, Walt, in 1987, he detransitioned and became a man once again. And although his body was mutilated because of uh, the surgeries, he found a woman who would accept him and love him, and he got married and has been married for over 20 years now. And Walt, um, he found the truth about who he was and about reality and how much God loved him. And here's what I, our call as the church is, is, is to love as we have been loved by God. He has accepted us in all of our brokenness and redeemed us all the same. We are not called to judge and condemn others. We are called to love and also share the truth of God's word because this is what brings healing and change. Uh, Walt uh, found the truth. And he says, um, I detransitioned 25 years ago and I learned the truth that uh, sex change and surgeries don't change the immutable fact of your biological sex, he said. And he's been on a crusade ever since to help people uh, who have this regret and to give them the help they need. You can find more at sexchangeregret.com. So we can't expect people who do not have the fear and love of God to um, act according to God's ways. Um, they act according to the flesh, as we all once did before we knew Christ. And that is the path that leads to, that broad path that leads to destruction, the narrow path uh, that leads to life. Sometimes it's hard. It was really hard for Walt. Uh, but he found the path, and he found a church that would help him to get through it. So my, um, one thing that, that Jesus says when, when you follow the truth is, is you'll be set free. If, if you are truly my disciples, you'll abide by my word, and the truth, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Walt's story is one of somebody who's been set free. Set free to live a life for God and a life in Christ. Now, what if we all here at this church were as vulnerable as Walt was with the stuff that we struggle with and our pains and sins and sorrows? I'll tell you what, if we did, transformation can happen for all of us. A true transformation. Walt uh, said... Um, when I was talking to a Christian therapist, they started praying for me, and I actually felt the love of God. Walt, and people like Walt, what they need is, is the love of God. They need prayer. They need us. They need us, the church, to surround them uh, with God's love 